Mr. Lincoln, I hate them all. I do. I am a prejudiced man. Congress must never declare equal those whom God created unequal. You're going to try to pass the amendment to abolish slavery. No one's loved as much as you by the people. Don't waste that power. Come February the 1st, I intend to sign the 13th Amendment. Hello, and welcome to Flashback, American Historians on Movies. I'm Katie Fapp, a doctoral student in American history at the University of Oxford's Rothermere American Institute, and I'm here to explore American history as seen through the lens of America's most popular history maker, Hollywood. Each episode, I'm joined by another historian as we discuss a movie that covers their own field of expertise. Today, I'm joined by Adam Smith to discuss 2012's Lincoln, Steven Spielberg's look at the last four months of the president's life and his efforts to steer the 13th Amendment through the House of Representatives in 1865. Adam is a historian of politics of the American Civil War, the author of several books about that topic, and the director of the Rothermere American Institute here in Oxford. Welcome, Adam. Thank you very much, Katie. It's lovely to be here. Yes, no, it's so great for you to have, be on the pod uh, for the second season and after all your support for helping. No, I'm, I'm delighted. It's, it's, it's a great podcast. I'm really pleased that you asked me to be on it. Thank you. Yeah, and I I mean, yeah, and talking Lincoln, right? Like, what a movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I saw this movie when it first came out. It's the only time, actually, Katie, I've ever seen uh, a movie in, the, in, a, in, a, in a kind of premiere. You know, I mean, not wow. the big Hollywood premiere, but I was invited to the, to the UK premiere uh, oh, okay. uh, sort of or preview probably not premiere mm. preview for critics so I saw this movie first of all at, I think it was like at 10 in the morning at the 20th <laughs> Century Fox building movie, yeah. in, in, in Soho <laughs> and there I was with all these film critics from newspapers and magazines and things it was terribly terribly exciting and we, it was a proper cinema but it was a really tiny cinema so I was there with people who I vaguely recognised and I felt completely out of place but I loved it it was very exciting What's that? Were you the only historian there or- I, d- I probably was. I think I was probably invited because I was I was reviewing the film for uh, for an arts program on BBC Radio Three. So I think oh, that nice. they must have the producer must have given my name to the production company, and that's why I was okay. invited. So, yeah, so I wasn't the there BBC, as a historian. As as I was historian. there as a okay. as a pseudo reviewer. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay, <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I know in the US they did some like pre-screenings for teachers and students in New York, I think. So All right. I was wondering if that was part of that. But yeah. I mean, obviously there's maybe a bit more um, uh, teachers and students who would be interested in that in the US rather than the UK. I think so. I think yeah. so, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was going to ask you your relationship with the movie then, but it sounds like, I mean, you already have quite a deep one. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's a deep one, but I, I, I certainly, I suppose I've seen the movie. Well, I watched the movie, of course, I rewatched it uh, over the weekend for this for this recording. Um, I think I saw it. I think I watched it again on a um, on a on a on an airplane. So I think I've probably watched it three times overall. Although I, th- I think I've heard the soundtrack quite a lot as well. I must have downloaded yeah. the soundtrack at one point. Did it all seem when I was watching it again? I was sort of immersed in the world and partly in the sound world because the the music is actually is really quite fantastic. I think. Yes, that's one of my favorite parts as well. The John Williams score is yeah. just beautiful. Um, one of my favorite things to write to as well. Um, so cool. Yeah. So obviously Lincoln major, probably the biggest civil war movie that's come out recently, I think within the past decade. So far as I can think, yes, yes. 
Yeah. Yes, the most recent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had a few, I guess, um, there was the Free State of Jones movie, but that obviously mm. would not as big of an impact as Lincoln, right? With Daniel Day-Lewis, nonetheless, and Steven Spielberg directing. Uh, but before we get too into it, um, I'm going to task you with the 60-second plot description. Mm. I'll, I'll, give it, I'll give it my best shot, Katie. So I are you going to you're time me? Are you going to yes, time me? I'm bringing up my timer right now. Okay. And Tell me when to go. Okay. I have rehearsed this, but I haven't got, you know, I'm, I'm getting really nervous it. there. Okay. I've rehearsed it. Yeah, rehearsed it. Well, I, I know you take this seriously. It's an important part of the podcast. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a keen podcast listener, so I know about this part of it. All right, there yeah. we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You but I'm, I'm now, feel, I shouldn't have told you that because I'm feeling, really feeling the pressure now. Oh, no, no, it's okay. fine. And I'll just say also for listeners, <laughs> if this is your first episode, uh, every episode I task our guests to do a 60-second plot description just so, so those who haven't seen the movie can get caught up on it and understand what we're going to talk about for the rest of the episode. Uh, and without other way, Adam, you're ready? I'm ready. Okay, go. The action of the movie takes place in January 1865, and it concerns President Abraham Lincoln's efforts to persuade a supermajority, the necessary two-thirds majority of the House of Representatives to pass the 13th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. So that's the amendment abolishing slavery forever. Now, spoiler alert, in the end, he's successful. On one level, the movie is about all the back behind the scenes machinations. The big question of the movie is when the war ends, when the Confederacy is defeated, will slavery end with it? Did I end up? Did, have I, did I not use all yeah. my time? No, you have loads of time left. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how much time do I have left? You you stopped at around like thirty eight seconds. Oh really? Oh my! Yeah. I must have talked faster than I prepared. Then in that case, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there's 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 there's, there's you, have, you have plenty of time the, to expand the, on. The, other well, there's plenty there's plenty yeah. more to be said then. So so the, so the interlocking the interlocking issues then is will the Thirteenth Amendment pass or will the president be in some way compelled to do a deal with the leaders of the confederacy which will bring the war to an end with slavery still intact so those two things are going on together and relating to one another and that's where some of the kind of dramatic tension of the movie is right yeah I think focus on the kind of big picture stuff there obviously what actually yes. what makes the movie so watchable that makes mm. it sound like an essay probably the yeah. way I've described it there right Katie but <laughs> actually yeah. if there are people listening to this who haven't watched the movie they're probably going to be put off by my description but you shouldn't be put off by description because I, I would say well I want to know what you think about this Katie but hmm. I mean this is I mean the movie is obviously called Lincoln so I mean at the center <laughs> in every scene at the center of this movie is this extraordinary compelling I think it's an mm. incredible performance by Daniel Day-Lewis who is you know, I've been studying, um, writing, reading about Lincoln, reading Lincoln's words for 25 years, probably <laughs> nearly something like that. This Daniel Day-Lewis is Lincoln. Like he just is. He is Lincoln. It's most ex and it and there's lots of ways and we can get into this. Lots of ways in which you can criticize this movie from a historical point of view. There's lots of things the movie doesn't do that the movie chooses not to focus mm -hmm. on. What it does focus on is Lincoln, the man, the president in this incredibly high-pressured situation, dealing at the same time with a tense and difficult relationship with his wife, who is incredibly mm, grief-stricken because of the death yep. of their, um, their son, Willie, a couple of years earlier, tensions mm. with his oldest son, Robert, who wants to fight in the army, and Mrs. Lincoln doesn't want him to because she's so desperate she doesn't want another son to die. And so there's, there are those kind of domestic... Um, 
relationships which are, which which also play into this but at the center of it it's a story about this this man in an incredibly yes. tense position yes uh and i i uh, first things first great on the 60 second part description you knocked it out of the park <laughs> well no not if i finished after 38 katie i feel like okay, that's well, yeah. that's a fail i would say i think you're being way too you're, generous no, you're very concise though i mean if, if you're going for speed then you knocked it out of the park um <laughs> But no, on the second hand, I totally agree about uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and just the centrality of his performance to the success of this movie. Um, because I think, yeah, like, I mean, you, you said your kind of 30-second plot description was a bit essay-like, I guess, in kind of like just outlining the bare bones of the movie. And that is correct. But I do think so much of the power of this movie does come from Daniel Day-Lewis's performance as the man. And I mm. also agree, like, he is Lincoln. Like, I, I don't know, you turn it on and sometimes this is maybe a bit embarrassing to admit, but you know, I'll look at a picture of Lincoln and I'm like, well, he doesn't really look like Daniel Day-Lewis. Like I, I forget when I'm watching Daniel Day-Lewis that that's not, not Lincoln, you know? Um, I think He's got just, the, the, and I, I guess this is as much a tribute to the, the, you know, the, the costumes and the design as, as yes. to, as to <clears throat> Daniel Day-Lewis's acting, but, but he, but especially when you see, he stoops like Lincoln, he, he, yeah. When you see him walking, there are some quite memorable scenes where you see Lincoln walking and he's walking in the slightly awkward gait, as you kind of right. would imagine a very tall man would walk, tall, thin man would walk. And to, to me, those actually, when you see Lincoln, when you see him moving, mm. um, he, he feels like Lincoln. They also mm. very carefully in the movie recreated some very famous images of Lincoln that we have from photographs right. so there's one in particular which I think happens mm. while while the voting is taking place in the house mm. and we're we're waiting to see whether or not the 13th amendment is going to pass or not and it cuts away to Lincoln with his young son Tad mm. in the White House and he's sitting there with Tad looking at a book and there's a very famous photograph of Lincoln right. with Tad in exactly and right. so they've and there are a couple of other moments like this where they consciously recreate familiar images to of really bring the audience mm. into that yeah um no i mean i yeah totally agree i but yes like daniel day lewis is fantastic as lincoln um and in my research for this i actually found out that he did didn't he uh, refused spielberg at first to be in the movie mm. um spielberg has been working on it since uh he says like i mean he's always been fascinated with lincoln like i think a lot of people are um was Liam Neeson originally cast as Lincoln, yes. I believe? Yes. So, I mean, Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis was always his first choice. Uh, but when he approached him in 20... Or when Spielberg approached Lewis in 2005, he was no, he said no. Because I think at that point, it wasn't the Kushner script. It wasn't just about the last... It was a totally different movie at that point. I think it was just about his entire presidency. And he just didn't really feel compelled to do it. And then Neeson was... They got to the point of table reads when Neeson was reading at the table and went, I think around 2009 or something, and went, I can't do this. Like, I am no longer fit for this role. And he stepped out. And then that's when they brought Day-Lewis back in. And I think Steven Spielberg tells a story that he reports in a magazine uh, or an interview with a magazine. I think it's Deadline that he got Leonardo DiCaprio to also convince Daniel Day-Lewis to take the role because um, he was still hesitant at that point, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, it was Liam Neeson at first who they wanted to cast. Uh, and and now, you know, it's like impossible to imagine, right? Yeah. It, anyone else in the role. Impossible. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, all this Daniel Day-Lewis praise at the top. I'm <laughs> trying to think what to... Yeah, also, I guess maybe it's a good point to talk about you mentioned his relationship with Mary Todd Lincoln, right? And I think mm. 
what I was trying to say there is one of the reasons why I do love this film because the drama of the 13th Amendment being passed is part of it. But then just the humanity that Day-Lewis brings to his role and to like, you know, I think Spielberg also mentioned in different interviews, he really wanted to avoid an Epcot-like, an Epcot, you know, kind of like Disneyfied, right? Like great American statesman uh, idea of Lincoln in this movie. And I think he hit that out of the park just because the, the Lincoln we see in this movie is like, he's, I just a real person, right? Like the way he just kind of like tells these stories hmm. and people react to him telling these stories and he's quite funny and he doesn't really hold back. So I was wondering if you, yeah, what you thought about that just kind of like I, Lincoln as a man. I, I, I mean, this is, this is exactly how Lincoln is described in all the contemporary sources. He, he, he was a bit weird. Um, <laughs> he, he, he didn't, I think you get this from the movie. He doesn't, doesn't really have any kind of close friends he's got this close mm. professional relationship with secretary of state seward he's clearly you can feel the intensity of his relationship with with mary lincoln mm. um but he's he's also a very solitary kind of figure a bit of an outlier a bit of a bit of a loner very changeable moods quite introspective mm. but then can do this performing storytelling thing which he does for a purpose to kind of break the ice to try to make people feel at ease or to change the subject or to avoid answering a question you can see him deploying his humor and his storytelling and that's exactly how Lincoln is described um I mean, I find it hard. To, I mean, as someone who is, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't describe myself as a Lincoln historian, but as someone who's done a lot of work in this period and Lincoln has always been at the center of what I do, I, I do wonder how he, I, I guess I, view, I I come to this movie in a very different way from from most people because I have such a, I had such a clear view in my own mind of what of what Lincoln was. And the reason why I love this movie so much is, is as I said before, because he so completely embodies how I'd imagined Lincoln. He nailed right? it. Okay, yeah. So how he comes across to people who are encountering this person, as it were, as a character in a movie for the first time, it's mm. kind of perhaps harder for... I'm probably not the best person to kind of comment on that, really. Yeah. No, okay. That's just, Yeah, I think maybe it's coming from a place where I do feel a kind of just... Yeah, I guess I know. Growing up with Lincoln, he's like the picture in the textbook, the person on the five dollar bill, um, the you know the the big marble statue in the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. And to see this kind of really humanizing performance right. from him is just right. something that really draws me to the movie. Maybe I suppose I've always seen him, or oh, always, but you know, I I, <laughs> I you know I I didn't grow up in in the land of Lincoln. I didn't I didn't right. necessarily see him as this kind of slightly almost car- either cartoonish or very grandiose figure. Mm. Um, I've you know, I I know his. I recognize his handwriting better than I recognize the handwriting most people I know. Since you don't oh, see yeah. people's handwriting nowadays, you know, I, I sort sure. of feel almost on some bizarre level a kind of intimate relationship already with Lincoln, which this movie completely, completely captures. Yeah, great. So, Lincoln the man. I think we could talk more about it. I maybe. Oh, also, I guess while well, maybe we're on maybe the personal side of Lincoln before moving on to the meat or I I mean it's definitely I'd say the meat of the movie but definitely what the movie is I guess maybe the dramatic churn of the movie more so than his familiar but his familial relationships right the way it kind of displays his relationship with Mary Todd and Mm. Robert and Mm. I think Sally Field is maybe my second favorite performance in this whole movie yeah uh, for just what she gets to do what she gets to do as Mary Todd yeah so um, I mean, Mary, 
um, I think Mary and Abraham Lincoln had uh, yeah, a, a relationship which other people, Lincoln's friends, who are Lincoln's friends and associates, colleagues, people who wrote about him, after, especially after his death, um, often wrote about his marriage as a as a as a source of deep unhappiness for Lincoln, mm. right? And and emphasized the the violent rows they used to have and the chucking things at each other as they used to do. And oh, you gosh. get you get a bit of a, a sense of that in the movie, not the chucking stuff, but but the no. yelling at each other. The yelling. Um, but I think what you also get from this movie, which I'm sure is, I'm sure. I mean, my sense from my reading of Lincoln and the sources is that it's right to also sense this this codependence as well yeah. I, I mean the, the and 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 the deep intelligence of mm. mary lincoln and a, and a mm. sense that you know you you're seeing these two people in this marriage at a point of extraordinary strain you know they 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 have had four sons two of them have already died mm. um Robert, the the eldest, who's kind of away at college and has this difficult, distant relationship with with Lincoln, and 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 and, and Mrs. Lincoln's kind of kind of obsessive, claustrophobic love for him, and all in this context of them being in this incredibly exposed place. They've got no privacy, you know. They're in the no. White House, and there are people, you know, ordinary members of the public and cabinet ministers coming in uh-huh. and out all the time. They, they live in this yeah. in this, this public scene, public right? way. Have- Tad with the child carriage and like steering goats through the yeah. middle of the White House, which again is this. apparently all true. <laughs> like he used to do that. Like he was, he never went to school. Tad never yeah. went to school. Um, okay, he just yeah, and he and he just he he just <clears throat> used to run riot around the around the White House. This is all quite well documented. I mean, very sadly, what the movie doesn't cover is that is that Tad later died shortly afterwards after the war. Yeah. So poor Mrs. Lincoln had after then the death again. of her husband, her third child. Um, died so you know i mean if you know that as well it adds a further kind of layer of, of tragedy to the whole thing see i completely agree with you about sally field who plays mary lincoln it's an absolutely compelling performance and i think she captures that you know she doesn't in a way it would have been so easy to make mary lincoln into a kind of caricature of a sort of you know in 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 quotes kind of mad woman you know a sort of mm. slightly kind of hysterical sort of mm-hmm. very negative and and and, and she com- she just so doesn't do that i mean it's just no. such a kind of complex interesting um performance and, and she's a very i find her a very sympathetic character you, you know just somebody who's just deeply deeply unhappy there's a there's a very uh, one scene towards the end when they're in a carriage ride you know as it turns out just before lincoln is shot and mm. uh and and lincoln uh, says to mary lincoln you, something like you know we, we've got to try to be happier we've been unhappy for so long <laughs> it's, yeah and my goodness and they really have yeah, and, and you really feel pretty that, much cuts you know? to ford's theater yeah. after that yeah that's no i agree um i think also in uh, an interview spielberg gave with deadline he mentioned trying to bring, you know, he mentioned, you know, there's been loads of biographies written that like really adamantly defend Mary Todd Lincoln mm. and others that really uh, are to her detriment in yeah. her historical legacy. Uh, but he said he really tried to just approach her as this person, right? Which I think right. is what he does with everybody in the movie. And he also made the point that to him, Mary Todd was Lincoln's like engine, right? He, she was a person kind of pushing him. Mm. So not a detriment to him at all, but actually someone who's absolutely like as important to his political processes as like say Seward or um, whether or not he, I don't know. 
I'm not a Lincoln historian, so I'm not sure how closely he worked with someone like Thaddeus Stevens and getting the amendment published or not published, but uh, passed. So, but you know, yeah, someone as important to the process as the men in the Capitol as we, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, it seems that she was his, you know, confidant, someone mm. who, uh, you know, and perhaps especially earlier on in his career, I mean, she was much, much better connected than he was. She was well-born, you know, mm. she had all these family connections with important families in in Illinois and in Kentucky and uh, she had all the social graces that he didn't have right and and I think you know marrying Mary was an important step in in Lincoln's um, rise to kind of respectability and Mm -hmm. position in the state of Illinois before the war but I think it's also true that as you as you say she was uh, yeah she 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 was someone with whom he would not just talk about political issues, but you know, argue and, and debate and thrash things out. Yeah, and uh, and you you get you get you get some of the sense of that in the movie. Although I also think that by this point, you know, by January eighteen sixty five, I think that Mrs. Lincoln was so. Um, was was clearly you know dealing with the extraordinary trauma of the of the death mm. of Willie, um, and was feeling very marginalised and isolated within the White House. And you, you know, you, there's a scene where you know, and it's true that she was being constantly under scrutiny, being attacked in the newspapers for ex- and by congressional investigating committees for overspending in the White House. Mm-hmm. And she did spend a lot of money on the White House. And she did go up to New York um, department stores and kind of spend lots and lots of money on curtains and carpets and stuff like this. And, you know, and that kind of the optics of that, as we would say nowadays, were not great in the <laughs> middle of a war, right? So, no. you know, and that's, and Lincoln was always very good, at, you know, very strongly defending her. But you get the sense that she's deeply beleaguered. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I find, yeah, I find you a very, very sympathetic character. Um, I, yeah. Um, mm. And then also, like you mentioned, uh, his relationship with Robert, mm. his eldest son, who is away at college but wants to join the war. Yeah. Um, and I guess we also kind of move in between Lincoln dealing with the amendment and him, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, whose favorite line of mine in the movie is, I don't care about British mercantile law, which I can't. <laughs> I can agree with. I don't. I mean, all the. I think all the lines. I think all the zingers in this movie are part of my, one of my favorite parts of it. Um, I would love for somebody to do like a compilation of all the insults that yeah. are just kind of like just thrown at you and yeah. like take a second to land that yeah. everybody gets to say. Um, but yes, and then also I guess through Robert we see. That's I guess that's the way the movie brings us closest to the idea of. The toll of war. Um, besides, uh, you know, the movie opens with, is it, is it uh, Petersburg, the battle that we see, or is that supposed to be? Or um, I don't know. It it ends with Petersburg, doesn't it? I ends don't. Petersburg. Okay. Yeah, it, it ends with Petersburg. Petersburg. I'm not sure. I mean, it does. Be, it does open with Lincoln with surrounded battle. by soldiers. I'm I'm actually mm. don't recall, or I'm not sure if they say. I guess they do say. Mm. I don't remember actually. We should know that. They probably do. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have looked we it up. Go back bad. and check. Uh, Edit that in real quick. Uh, <laughs> Well, I guess, okay, I can't find the name of the battle that they're at at the opening, but I do think it's important to point out that it, the very, very, the movie very pointedly, uh, it is a battle involving the USCT, which yeah. I think is a major kind of thing. So black, black troops. Thinking, yeah. Yes, exactly. So yeah. for the, our listeners who aren't aware, the US color troops. Mm. 
Um, and then we see shortly after that Lincoln speaking with two um, black soldiers uh, about what they hope for the war to achieve mm. and what they're going to do afterwards. Mm. Uh, and then also they kind of shoehorn in the Emancipation Proclamation. I just I find that opening scene very funny, right? You have these two black soldiers explaining to him what their hopes and dreams are yeah. and then you have the two white soldiers just come up and start reciting the emancipation i i, I don't like the opening right so i've got to be honest ah, I, I don't yeah. i don't i don't like that opening i just find it a little bit cringe a little bit too staged it, it and, is, and, and you know and you've got yeah you've got you've got the soldier kind of reciting the gettysburg address back at right. lincoln and i'm like no nah, not really I it's a bit, gonna... a bit too much of the spielberg yeah. kind of sweetness isn't yeah it? and I, I guess obviously i can see what it's doing in storytelling sense right. you know it's it's it's, sure, it's, right. it's it's setting the scene and and reminding viewers who lincoln is and and right. kind of set, uh, setting yeah, up the questions the thing, of the movie yeah. I, I totally i totally get all that yeah. but um, I, I also yeah. but i also yeah i, I agree with you yeah it's, it's a bit like okay <laughs> i think also if we skip ahead the end of the movie is also a bit um heavy-handed with that uh with pretty much after he leaves for the theater uh it's a bit okay um, but I also understand why they wanted to finish it with his death. But although they but finish it, the, well, I guess they, they don't. Of course, <clears> they, they the obvious thing to do would have been to show him being shot in Ford's theatre. What they do right. instead is That's to show Tad twist. at another theatre, mm-hmm. which again is true. Mm-hmm. Um, watching a, a, a pantomime or, or something, Aladdin, or something. Aladdin yeah. yeah, and and then the announcement in the theatre that the president has been has been shot. Which right. and, and then and then after that, there's. I guess, as it were, a flashback to uh, Lincoln's second second inaugural right. address, which happened right. a, um, a couple of weeks of earlier. Yeah, actually, very similar then in that way to kind of the Elvis movie that came out recently. But uh, lest we talk about that, what I was trying to say was is that the, besides kind of you, so you have this opening battle scene, which is like very like just kind of like swelling bodies and stabbing and shooting and stuff. It's quite graphic, and then. Um, you have Lincoln visiting Petersburg and seeing again kind of dead bodies strewn about. Mm. Robert's storyline is really the way to kind of bring throughout the rest of the movie the human toll, right? Because we have him, uh, Lincoln visiting a hospital in DC and then while uh, kind of the moody Robert who's angry that his father hasn't let him go off to war kind of wanders off out of the carriage after he sees a wheelbarrow dripping blood and you see all the amputated Mm. limbs being, you know, just really the the human cost of the war is, I think, am- amplified through Robert's uh, Robert's storyline. Yeah, and yeah. I think combined with kind of the Lincoln family drama focused on death, really made me think a lot of Drew Gilpin Faust's uh, *Republic of Suffering*. Yes, and just the way yes. death was just so present, right, in yes. Lincoln's life, but in all yes. of Americans' lives at this point. Absolutely, yes. I mean, and let's you know just to remind listeners you know that that in as a proportion of the if it, the civil war took place today the proportion of the president american population would be talking about 8 million yeah. casualty 8 million people so, being yeah, killed 2% of the right. whole right so population. i mean you know this yeah. is the in, in just incredible I and mean, this is this is this was the of course the the bloodiest um war in american history but in in terms of its impact on that generation, the, mm. the the comparison is with the experience of France and Britain in the in the First World War, I and mean, actually the South actually of course lost an even higher proportion of their military age men than than the North did. I mean, it's you need to look to the Soviet Union in the Second World War to see a 
comparison and you do you, you do get that you do get that sense from the movie and the fact that it's all it's so dark as well the movie i mean it's literally dark yes, I mean, especially in the white right, house yeah. you know it's it's i mean it's it's it, the action takes place mostly in winter anyways there's not much natural light yep. and there's just the little oil lamps and there's all mm-hmm. shadows everywhere and you really get the sense for how like a 19th century house would you know only mm. let in light from the window right there's no yeah. other it's it's gorgeous but yeah it really does kind of hit home that sense mm. of death mm. <laughs> um yeah definitely uh but i don't know if you wanted to say anything about robert i kind of steered the direction towards civil war death there no no second, you go you go, no no you go, you you move on yeah <laughs> okay i was i would say well if we have nothing to say about the lincoln family then uh we can move on to i guess the meat of this movie which is the 13th amendment passage mm. which i think i spoke to you briefly about the movie before we recorded and i think maybe one of your major qualms was about the process, I guess the legislative process we see in this movie, uh, particularly in regards to Bilbo and his kind of uh, band of lobbyists or operatives. I'm not sure what what a word you use, kind of haranguing the democratic votes. uh, Yeah, I think think what I... Sense um, of corruption, maybe. I I can't remember exactly what I said to you before, uh, Katie, so forgive me if I don't make exactly the same point now. It was only Um, an illusion, don't worry, yeah. I I guess, I suppose, um, insofar as this is a movie which on some level is like a West Wing style political drama, Mm. um, which which it is, right? So, you know, where does the... Uh, the, the the tension comes from the question is are they going to get the votes <laughs> literally are they yeah, going to get the yeah. votes right because they need right. to persuade enough democrats so they need to get all the republicans or union party people as they're actually really called to support this amendment and then they also need to get a bunch of democrats who had previously voted against the amendment when it first came to the house the previous year um they need to get them and and um i i suppose yeah the where I find the movie slightly unsatisfying, but this really is me speaking as a political historian, is that the only answer that the movie provides for why in the end you get these votes is corruption. (laughs) And and that is definitely part of the story, right? So it's true that Secretary Seward did have a kind of slush fund that he used for this purpose and indeed for other purposes during the war. And there's no question that patronage jobs and things were offered. And there is a there is a kind of paper trail that shows some of this. Um, but actually, there's, an, there's another story going on here, which is that in the end, some of the votes by democrats for this amendment and also some of the support some there were some democrats who didn't in the end vote for the amendment because at the last minute they were persuaded and the movie deals a little bit with this that in there was a peace offer on the table from the confederacy but they were otherwise supportive of the principle of the amendment the reason why they and that story is in itself quite interesting so how do people who had been up until the war and up until a year earlier had been, if not exactly pro-slavery, then very content with the continued existence of slavery, mm-hmm. come genuinely to the view that, OK, enough of is enough, as it were. The time has come now. We have to deal with this. End it, right? That we have to end it. And, you know, as Lincoln himself called the 13th Amendment a king's cure for all the evils, you know, so mm-hmm. a, a sort of it will it will move the conversation on. We've been fighting about this. We've been literally fighting. We've been shedding blood. We've been having these internecine um, political battles for decades and decades over the... Um, 
over enslavement in the United States. We've got we've got just got to end it. This is our opportunity to move on, right? Otherwise, mm. we'll be fighting about this forever. The, that that was, and, and you could come to that view. The, the critical thing you come to that view while being profoundly racist, while believing that the future for the United States was as a whites only republic, and that you you end slavery and then you somehow or other remove the non-white population. You know, there were there were lots of motivations for supporting the Thirteenth Amendment, which don't really fully get articulated, I think, in this movie. Sure. Um, because the explanation for why in the end it gets passed is all dust down to the, the the kind of comedy, the goodness, and the comedy, and then like I guess there's kind of like the three hail marys, right? Who kind of come in and have change? You have the change of mind, right? And a few of right. the congressmen. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, but I mean that's not a that's not a serious criticism of the of the of the movie I'm making there though, Katie. I mean that's just you know that that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean I I don't know why that they, they could have um, since there are so many real people um, or actual historical characters who are portrayed in this movie. I I'm surprised that they didn't. Uh, there are some who they could have had in, but they didn't. So there's a Ohio Democratic congressman called Samuel Cox, Sunset Cox, he was always known as, who um, is the kind of person I'm talking about who was against the amendment when it first came before the House, then decided to vote for it, and then at the last minute voted uh, against it because he believed that pragmatically it was the wrong moment because of the possibility of a negotiated peace. Interesting. He was a really interesting character, but he doesn't appear in the movie. He's maybe like the opposite of um, Michael Stuhlbarg's character, who is the congressman who is seen as being very anti the amendment because the, he d- he doesn't believe like the government has the resources to deal with the emancipated people afterwards, right? And then at the mo- the last moment he changes his mind. But we have a historical example of kind of the opposite of that. Yeah. Where he yeah. Flips. Interesting. Okay. I think I read an IMDb trivia. Um, so, you know, grain of salt on veracity, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that they changed a lot of the congressional names in the movie as well, not to offend any of their descendants, or at least the, those in Congress who voted nay. Right. So again, IMDb trivia, grain of salt. But I do wonder if maybe some of those stories were lost in the uh, kind of the... That's a very odd choice, isn't it, if that's true? I mean, it, it is true that they didn't use the real names for the most part, and I don't know why they didn't, because they're easily and publicly available. There's right. there's we one name who does right, appear yeah. to have voted, who is a made-up name, who voted mm-hmm. nay in the mm-hmm. in the movie, um, <laughs> Congressman Washburn. There, there were Washburns who were pro the amendment. They were a, they were a Republican Whig, Republican family from from uh, well Illinois, New England. Um, so that was a kind of weird choice. So I remember he, okay, I heard, yeah. heard the name Congressman Washburn being called out, and I was like, well, clearly he's going to be Obviously a yay. In fact, yay. he was a nay. Well, was clearly the, <laughs> yeah, that was a strange choice. Yeah, what was mm. Kushner thinking? Okay, interesting. Yeah, um, and you know, I had another thought about the political machinations there. I guess I guess, yeah, so you have the corruption on one hand, and then just kind of the maybe we could talk about. I guess hmm. It's it's always a tricky thing with movies, right? And that you want to... I, th- I think we as historians maybe want movies to kind of display the amount of complexity we know existed in the past and that we kind of deal with in our own work. But then when you think of it as a you know a movie, which is, you know, its primary enter- function, I guess, is entertainment. 
yeah, rather I'm, than to inform it's hard it's kind of hard it, it, totally i mean yeah. no i mean it's the sort of most boring uh kind of historic historians thing to say about a historical movie is oh it wasn't mm. complex enough i didn't get there and, I, <laughs> and actually i don't I, yeah i don't really want to be the person to say that because actually i think one of the things that i love about this movie is that it does mm. deal with ambivalence um, well, you know, yeah. it, 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 it would have been possible to make a movie about the passage of the Thirteenth Amendment, which tells it as, you know, a, a story of kind of great progressive triumph. And actually, mm-hmm. if you you know you watch this movie and you you see all of the ambiguities of the motivations, and you, um, you know, my my point about party politics and party identities is a really niche point, really that I don't think need to detain us needs to detain us <laughs> very very long. Yeah. No, no, no. It's 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 just interesting, right? Because I think as well, um, I think at least before I really studied the Civil War, maybe at a uh, college level, I think in high school, even I was, we were still kind of like taught in this mode. Um, you know, it it's portrayed to a lot of Americans as either being, you know, you're either a Confederate and you are pro-slavery and you want it to continue, or if you're in the North, you are an abolitionist and you want to end slavery immediately, right? Like that's kind of the very elementary level idea of the Civil War that a lot of Americans at least are taught. But, you know, the more you study it, but you realize that the nuances, right, in Republican thought, which I think the movie does really, I mean, because I mean, that's the tension, right? Because if it wasn't, and that's where the, ah, I remember now, that's where the uh, Confederate peace offer comes in, right? Because yeah. if there's a chance, right? So I guess like the difference between the abolitionists on one hand and I guess the, uh, containers that's not what it's called uh the people who just wanted you know as you said we mentioned earlier wanted to kind of contain slavery right mm. keep it to where it was in the south but not let it spread any further kind of keep this current status quo the the thing um, yeah sorry no go on no sorry. no i was going to continue yeah I was no no i mean it. um yeah. the the by this point in the war by by the near the very end of the war, January eighteen sixty-five. I mean, it's it's clear to everybody that the, the militarily the writing is on the wall for the Confederacy, okay. um, and the the movie I think slightly exaggerates the jeopardy of the possibility that the war could have ended with slavery still uh, as Intact. a viable institution in the United States. Mm-hmm. Slightly exaggerates it. Eric right. Foner, I think, also mentioned that in an off. Oh well, I'm 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 with it. <laughs> I'm in very good company then. I haven't I <laughs> didn't go, know yeah. that Eric said that, but yeah, um, I think. But I think well, okay. So that is I'm I'm right then, aren't I? If that's what Eric Foner also <laughs> says. If Eric Foner says but, so. Then yeah. But I, but what I was going on to say, what I was going to go on to say though, was that nevertheless, the movie does a very good job. I think in in several quite long speeches that that Daniel Day Lewis Lincoln makes mm. early on in the movie. Of explaining why, of explaining why, even though slavery was already a clearly a, compl- a collapsing institution by January eighteen sixty five, nevertheless, why passing this amendment, amendment then a constitutional yeah. amendment made a big difference. There was a there was a clarity, there was a cleanness. You know, it as we know very very well, it clearly didn't solve every problem or anything close to it, but it, mm. it did close off one whole issue which was whether it was still going to be possible under state law for there to be a right to property in man and if the 13th amendment for some reason had not been passed um even if the courts upheld the emancipation proclamation uh even if state abolition went ahead in a bunch of border states and reconstructed southern states it would still have been a continuing question 
long after the Civil War, in a place like Kentucky, for example, which wasn't a seceded state, but which was a slave state, there still have been a question about whether state law could legalise property in man. And so the, 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 the amendment is of huge significance. <laughs> of course right. it is, um, you know, legally um, in, in the United States. And it, it defined, I mean, the movie is basically right, I think, to say that the fact that the war ended after the passage not the ratification, but the passage by Congress of the 13th Amendment shaped the way in which the meaning of the war was understood at the time. It removed that ambiguity. So I I think that's an important, you know, if that's, a, as it were, a historical lesson that people, mm, people can take, take from this movie, I think that's a great one. And as a historian, I would say that's right, right? That right is on, basically okay. right. You know, that's what I would say in my lectures. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess my next question then, maybe thinking of... I, you, you kind of address it, right? Because you, right, you say it happens before the war ends and then the war ends. It's a sense that the war was fought to, you know, get the success of the end of slavery, right? Um, I'm just curious your thoughts on this idea of the Confederate Peace Treaty because it's something, again, like as someone who used to kind of be a Civil War historian, but not majorly, um, as I was looking at it 50 years after it ended, um, just your kind of thought, yeah, like it's also something I didn't even learn about in my college history class, right? Like just... Um, of the, are you talking about the peace, the peace negotiations, the potential, right? The, which is kind of yeah. like the 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 tricky thing in the movie that's yeah. kind of you know throwing off this yeah. the ideal passage of the uh, the amendment in Congress, yeah. at least on the Republican side, right? So it's yes, I mean, and so I suppose just to catch up anyone who who hasn't seen the movie or hasn't seen it recently and may may not know what we're talking about here. Um, so early on in the movie, um, Lincoln realizes that he, if he's going to secure the passage of the Thirteenth Amendment as well as getting the votes of Democrats, he also needs to secure the votes of people who in the movie are called, quote, conservative Republicans, unquote. Um, um, that, I think that label is slightly problematic, but that's a seriously niche point of mine. <laughs> but anyway, they, 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 anyway, these kinds of people, and indeed there's actual characters like uh, Preston Blair, Blair and Francis yeah. Blair, really, obviously, they were real people. So um, this is true. This is all true. Okay. And it is also true then that in that context, Lincoln uh, agreed to allow uh, a sort of peace feelers to be put out so mm. his so the, the the bargain that he was effect Lincoln was striking with these so-called conservative Republicans was that we will okay if you're uncertain about whether the 13th amendment will pass we will make one last effort to see whether or not we can end this war and re on the basis of reunion end the war on the basis of reunion. And and if you're right to think, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe we could do it if we just don't pass the 13th Amendment, well, then fine. Let's give that a try. Now, Lincoln knew full well there was no chance of that happening, right? There had been, there'd been a long backstory here about peace negotiations or attempted peace feelers in 1864. President Jefferson Davis of the Confederacy made absolutely clear that the non-negotiable thing for which the South was fighting was their independence, uh, that there was nothing that Lincoln or the North could give the South other than independence that would have satisfied Jefferson Davis. There was no deal to be had over mm -hmm. slavery. But nevertheless, there were plenty of people in the North who kept on saying that Lincoln's and Democrats and so-called conservative Republicans who kept on saying, oh, Lincoln's emancipation policy support for abolition is prolonging the war. If only we hadn't gone down this route of abolition, then maybe, maybe, maybe the South would just have given up and agreed to come back into the Union. It was a fantasy. 
It was it was not going to happen, but it was what they kept on saying. So Lincoln in January, or actually late December 1864, said, "Okay, let's give it one more try." So this then led a to a chain of events, which led to Vice President of the Confederacy Alexander Stevens, who, as it happens, was uh, an old friend, sort of old colleague of Lincoln's. They'd served in 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 uh, as Whig members of the House together uh, in 1849. Um, so Alexander Stevens and a couple of other Confederates. Uh, on, on, you know, take thinking that there's possibly a genuine chance for negotiations right. come, and and Lincoln and Seward do see them on a on a ship, as is all depicted in the movie, mm -hmm. do see them on a on a on a ship in Hampton Roads, and um, you know, in the movie, you get the impression that the only thing that was discussed was slavery and you kind of almost get the impression there that in the movie that Alexander Stevens was prepared would have been prepared to do some kind of deal on the basis deal. that the 13th right. amendment wasn't passed I, I mean I, I you know but he but he wouldn't have. I mean I don't think that's that's actually right I mean the, the the movie focuses only on the slavery issue whereas in fact the real the real obstacle to any negotiated peace was the question of was the question of independence and actually by then by that point the Confederacy was moving towards, in very heavy inverted commas, emancipation itself, right? So that the, the mm. Co Confederate Congress had passed a bill that would have uh, enabled um, enslaved people who fought for the Confederate Army to, in some sense, secure their freedom. It never yeah. happened, never went right. into, I mean, it never, the, the war ended before any of this could happen. Yeah. But in the very gasp, the lying last gasp of the confederacy when forced to confront the question of what's more important to us independence or slavery so, they mm -hmm. kind of chose independence very wow. reluctant okay. yeah yeah that's so okay then that answers that i guess and the I, yeah because it's you know it always kind of that aspect of the movie always kind of not like stuck out to me but just like interested me is like something that almost feels like uh, again like as someone who didn't know the history um you know I guess like Spielberg could have like laid a bit too heavily on, um, or not Spielberg, but Kushner maybe like laid a bit too heavily on, or maybe you know for for the sake of dramatic. License. I think he probably did lay it on a little bit thick. I think the relationship between the um, negotiations and the Thirteenth Amendment, but I mean for the sake of simple storytelling, I, I think it's I think it's all legitimate actually. I mean I really. I I, th I think the historical accuracy of the movie is remarkable, really, by the standards yeah. of, his, of Hollywood storytelling. <laughs> the movies that you talk about in this podcast, Katie, honestly, I yes. yeah. <laughs> I, I think this, this is great history. It's great it might, history. It's probably, it's probably the best, maybe historically, one we've looked at. I, it's it's say. it's yeah. it's the best Hollywood history movie that I know, mm. just as a, as a piece of history, as yeah. a piece of no, uh, history telling storytelling. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think no surprise that I think a lot of the people I speak to. Have mentioned that they had to watch this for a class uh yeah although i mean you should also just watch it for fun but um it's just a great movie uh but oh i mean i think but i think i mean i i guess i think about this about like most history right when i'm like reading a book or looking at sources and i think like god this would like make such a great movie or tv show or you know kind of some sort of filmed media for the present um, and then inevitably when I do go see those kind of like historical movies, I'm disappointed because it doesn't quite capture the nuance. But I think the source material is, I mean, it really just is something that lends itself. Well, I mean, then again, I, I say this, but I'm trying to get to the point of um, uh, Doris Kern Goodwin's, the source material for this book or for this movie, which is Doris Kern Goodwin's uh, Team of Rivals. 
mm. which uh, the movie is supposedly, yeah, supposedly taken <laughs> from. Um, right, you think you know history has always lends itself well to these like dramatic stories, but I think this is especially. I mean, uh, the passage of the amendment is especially a dramatic thing that lends itself well to being adapted, even if I think. Like you said in your thirty or after the thirty second plot description, thirty sixty second plot description, um, that the idea of a movie just following legislation through the house on its own doesn't sounds sound very great. dry bones. Doesn't yeah. sound great. No, <laughs> you know? like we're gonna watch two and a half hours of yeah. congressmen fighting. Um, you know, but it, you know, it, Kushner turns it to really something great. But I think, yeah, Goodwin's. I, I just. This is a very sloppy transition to say I want to talk about Goodwin's book, right. maybe, and like kind of the historical source for this yeah. movie, as it were. So I, um, so Doris Kearns Goodwin's book Team of Rivals um, was uh, had a huge impact when it was published, and she's you know a, a famous popular historian, mm-hmm. presidential historian, I guess. And it won a bunch of prizes, and it's a very compellingly written. You know, I'm, I'm. You can almost hear my tone of voice. There's a bot coming here, right? But you know, it nevertheless, <laughs> it's, it's a very, it's it's a good book in many ways. And the title of it, "Team of Rivals." I mean, when did when did the the book come out? But I mean, it wasn't long before 2005. Obama, 2005, right? So you know, when it, when it, when Hillary Hillary Clinton became Secretary yes. of State in Obama's first administration, you know, that was all oh, team of rivals. You know, he's yeah. Running after out. I think he said it, it was like his one of his favorite. Books. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was very much kind of uh, in the. Uh, you know, it's the obvious. It's the obvious thing to to cite, and and I think Spielberg had had got the film rights well, for the. Is before that right? it even been published, right? Yeah. So I, right. I, doing you yeah. know, the background research for this, he had met uh, Goodwin doing research for a Millennium Celebration in DC, you know, right, in two thousand, and they were getting coffee, and he was like, "Well, what are you working on?" She was like, "I'm writing this book on Lincoln," and he said, like, immediately, like, "I want the rights." Okay. Right then, um, that's never happened to me, Katie. Has it happened to you with your <laughs> PhD yet? <laughs> Uh, no, not no, yet, no, no, no. Um, I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, but okay, I mean, so therefore they then have to say now, don't they? Because they paid for the rights and so on that the the movie was based on the book. But yes, um, but I mean, it really isn't. I mean, like if you read the book, say, yeah, if you read the book and you watch the movie, it's really different. I mean, at best, this is half a chapter of of Doris Kearns Goodwin's is, book, yeah. right? I mean, it, it's the, the the book that it actually was based on. I think um can we say this is there any kind of libel issue here is 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 um michael vorenberg's book final freedom which is a monograph about um the passage of the 13th amendment and it literally i mean i i'm quite serious about that i mean they they uh they definitely screenwriters whether spielberg read it i don't know but it 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 follows closely many of the details in Michael's book, Final Freedom. Um, is, he, is this the book that gets into the details of the Kofgroff? Um, yes, Stevens? it does. Okay. Yeah, I mentioned, does. I saw that mentioned in an article mm. about it, uh, mm-hmm. saying kind of like details from that could yeah. only come from... I don't know if he's being credited with it, but I think Harold Holzer was the, who's another Lincoln historian, was the official mm. historical advisor. Um, but I don't think any of Holzer's books directly... I don't think you know his his books are not the direct source mm-hmm. um, for it's, this. It's almost a, it, it actually brings up an interesting idea of kind of like I guess Hollywood citations, right? Yeah, because you do have 
I guess, yeah, you, Spielberg buys the rights to this book before he even kind of knows what it entails. And it sounds like from uh, just kind of production, because, I mean, he was on production from this, I guess, pre-production, you would say, or development um, from like 2000 till they were filming in 2010. And at one point, it was about his relationship with Frederick Douglass. Uh, at one point, it was about the last, or I guess, three years of the Civil War. At one point, it was just his entire life. So it does sound like throughout it, they kind of like bopped around mm. what the movie was going to be a lot. But it, And then in also kind of the ensuing, I guess, like press releases and stuff, you have Kushner and Spielberg both saying, like, we read like thousands of books mm. about Lincoln to, mm. prep, prep, mm. to prep for this movie, which maybe seems like, mm. I mean, I don't think, I think I've read a thousand books and I'm doing a PhD, but <laughs> um, at least not yet. But yeah, you, you do kind of wonder, right? Like, And then I think there's one credit of a historical consultant in the you know the credits that roll after the film and that is is that harold holzer no actually no. it's a uh, gabor s Bort. oh gabor Borat, right yeah okay yeah. well he's he's another good one i mean he he's a he was a major uh lincoln historian um no i mean these are all as i've already said i think this is a this is a brilliant movie from the point of view of historical right. accuracy and and you, you know it's it's a kind of boring thing for two historians to say well they should have footnoted this better and this better and this better right. but <laughs> i mean i just struck by saying that you know in in preparation for this conversation with you katie i not only watched the movie but i thought i ought to remind myself a little bit of the details of the passage of the 13th amendment so the book i turned to was michael vorenberg's michael final Vorenberg's. freedom and I was just struck rereading. It's a book I know quite well, but it was a book rereading. I was just struck by, oh yeah, that character, that character, that character, that character. Yeah, it's kind of all in there. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Interesting. Versus. Mm. Uh, well, you wouldn't find most of those details in Doris Kearns Goodwin's book. That's right. the point. Because it's a thick tome. Yeah. I mean, I have so it in, in no it's... literal sense. I don't think can this movie be said to be mm -hmm. a film of that book. Of, great. It, it got the credit nonetheless. Right. I know that's how I was right. introduced to it when I was. Uh, mm cognizant of these things um interesting yeah so i guess do you want to talk about i mean sorry yeah. i was gonna no no i, I no, mean i was I, I was I, I wondered if you wanted to talk about some of the uh criticisms that i know have been made about yes the movie was, was that where you were going to move on yes. to sorry i don't want to preempt you then but um, no we're on the same page i think the two biggest ones i found in my research were I, eric foner eric foner's letter to the editor was rather small it was like truly you know, not. I don't think the New York Times approached him and asked him for a letter. He was just, you know, as a reader of the newspaper responding to an article, and he brings up this idea that uh, maybe put too much weight on um, the the idea of the war ending without ending slavery, but also this idea that abolition came purely from Lincoln, right? So in this kind of like short letter to the editor, he brings up the fact that you have. Uh, I guess at the point, radicals or radical abolitionists like Susan B. Anthony and other women um, circulating petitions to end slavery and maybe more importantly in the kind of grand scheme of media thinking of things um, of the agency of enslaved people, right, who worked to kind of bring the end of slavery, right? So not just uh, emancipation or abolition as this thing that comes down, but the something that is from the up, right? Yeah. And then also uh, Kate Mazur wrote, mm. I think, what I have seen is like the biggest uh, historical criticism of the movie for not, again, similar thing here, not displaying more agency of the black characters right. and the black. Um, so Kate, I, I don't, I don't think I've read the 
I'm not sure if I've read the piece that you're talking about in which she's written about this movie, but she, of course, has written about the black community in Washington, D.C. Right. Um, so that's really what she knows about that stuff. Um, I, and that's what her criticism really hit on. Uh, she mentions um, the two characters we do see, I think, the most of in this movie are Elizabeth Keckley, who yeah. is Mary Todd Lincoln's dressmaker. Yeah. And uh, William Slate, who is Lincoln's um, valet, who yeah. is kind of his, I guess... Uh, lead butler I right, think, about right. A ballet is, right and kind of as he goes off to the theater kind of has this right. sort of prescient he feels he knows he's never gonna gloves, say yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it almost feels like oh it's an old old super bowl commercial but um uh yeah so she brings up the point that both these real historical people also kind of had uh active lives outside the white house yeah uh, keckley worked on charity uh boards and groups along with mary todd lincoln as did or Slade also worked in his own charity groups, and the movie just kind of never mentions them. Even though I mean they're not totally invisible in the movie, there is a point where Lincoln turns to Keckley and kind of asks her opinion on uh, the amendment. Right, but it's not really integrated in a very uh, significant way. No, no. And he says at that point, I think in that conversation, he says, "I don't know you, Mrs. Keckley. Right. I mean, I don't know your people," which actually I think is. Uh, I have no idea whether he actually would have said that to her, but I think is probably what he would have thought and may well have said, speaking right. to African Americans. But that's by the by. I, I think I think as um I think as a broad critique of the movie, I think it's it, it's um this is all everything you you've said that Kate Mazur and um, Eric Foner have have said is all is all right. If if the question, but it depends what the question is, doesn't it? It depends what the movie is trying to achieve. If the question is, right. does this movie, if you watch this movie, do you have an understanding of why slavery ended in America? No, <laughs> definitely not, right? Because <laughs> no, because clearly slavery didn't end in the United States because of what happened in the White House and um, and, and in rooms in Congress in three weeks in January it's just a 1865. Small snapshot of such a big no. story. But right? I suppose if I were to defend the movie or to defend the choices that Tony Kushner and Spielberg have made, which I have no particular brief to do, but if I were, I suppose I would say, well, that wasn't what they were trying to do. I mean, this was a That's... movie about Lincoln in this position right. at this moment, mm-hmm. and it's the and and the passage of this one clearly extremely significant measure, um, uh, you know, did to to some degree as the film correctly uh shows depend on lincoln putting his i mean it wasn't i mean they'd overemphasizes lincoln's role i mean the other my other criticism which doesn't get into the issue of how it portrays people of color which i'm happy we, we keep talking about but i suppose my other general criticisms of the movie is that these other characters the other politicians in it are kind of largely sort of comedy <laughs> characters right who don't yes. really have a great deal of agency the only real sort of grown-up in the room as it were is lincoln you know even the rest of his cabinet are kind of all kind of nutters or one kind or another sort of <laughs> yeah. or people who don't understand the complexities of power and it's only really lincoln which i don't really think yeah. is true so congress had a lot more agency than this james ashley all of that but even it so but um so i would i would have that criticism of it even if the question was just about a legislative sure. process but the movie is about Lincoln as Lincoln, right? Yeah. But but it's, nevertheless, naturally, especially given what I've just been saying, I was saying earlier in our conversation, you know, that clearly the 13th Amendment is of immense significance in understanding American history. And so once you get to that point, you think, oh, well, the 13th Amendment was the thing that really made the difference that ended slavery. Then I can see why people would say, well, if that's the story you're going to tell, then it's only resp- you, you should be responsible enough to tell the story in a more, in a more complete way. way. Right. 
yeah and and so I think I think it sounds to me like what Kate Mazur and, and Eric Foner were saying was Spielberg should have made a different movie. Right? That's, uh, that was what a, my mind a fundamentally different already. movie, and that probably maybe they should have, or you know maybe they could have, and that would be a movie about the you know the mass migration of of um, of African American people, you know refugees from slavery. Mm-hmm encamping it you know into dc i mean this was yep. becoming a kind of black city by january when it becomes a chocolate city, right. right yeah and uh and and the and the huge importance as you've as you said katie of the of the uh, women's movement of people like susan b anthony in 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 specifically in relation to the amendment right because obviously yes. their their hope was that this was going to be part of a series of amendments that of would pave the way for yep. suffrage mm-hmm. for suffrage um for women as well as for, for universal right? black Which for universal suffrage right yeah so there is a whole there's uh, this whole uh um as a much much bigger canvas yeah. right and 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 you could have made a movie on that big canvas but but they didn't you know they chose to focus they approached it from the lincoln angle right and it and it is actually a movie which quite literally just think about the cinematography it's Mm. very close in it's very very close in there's there's virtually no big wide angled images i guess there's one Mm. of the house of representatives and there's a couple of those sort of rather dark battle scenes that you refer to although even then it's the bodies on the field it's very claustrophobic a wide yeah 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 so I guess, you know, I wouldn't disagree with the criti- criticisms as you've outlined them. I suppose I would just say, well... <laughs> I think we should just have more... I mean, I'm always... Make a new movie. I've said it before. <laughs> yeah, make a new movie. Uh, knowing, I haven't seen either of these movies, but knowing criticisms of Spielberg's beloved and um, Amistad, maybe Steven Spielberg isn't the person to make those movies either. Um, but yeah, just I'm always... I'm never going to complain about more historical movies being made and more just, you know, kind of facets of the same thing being presented. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Did you have a criticism you were going to bring up as well, or was it the legislature, um, legislatures? Um, I, well, I, no, I was, I, no, I was just, I was going to, um, no, I was just going to make the point that you made. I mean, I didn't, I haven't read those, um, specific, those specific critiques, but I was going to make the point about the agency of enslaved people themselves and the whole process right. of emancipation. I can, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I would imagine, especially if you made the movie now. I mean, even sort of ten years ago when this movie was made, I think it's probably. I think if you made the movie, well, maybe you wouldn't even make the movie now. It's an interesting question, but I think if you certainly if this movie came out now, right. I think you would. You, they would be absolutely slammed with that kind of criticism. That this right. is this is a movie about white people doing things for black right. people. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. I, actually, I, I think that's a ridiculously crude way of describing what this movie is. But that would be but, the. That would right. be the criticism of it. And then I think I think that's maybe most encapsulated as well by, which I think also people t- took a uh, issue with because I think in the only other cinematic depiction of it is in Birth of a Nation. Um, but this idea that Thaddeus Stevens, or kind of expanding on this idea that Thaddeus Stevens and his housekeeper mm. um, had an intimate relationship. Yeah. Which it's, we don't know either way. Um, no. They were very close, obviously. Some, I think... Some people have described her as his common law wife, but there's no really kind of yeah. known way. But this is something that Birth of a Nation, the infamous uh, movie, kind of depicts. And it's not literally Thaddeus Stevens, but um, as a way to kind of discredit the idea yeah. of the 13th Amendment. Yeah. Um, and then you, so you kind of have Spielberg taking that and showing it in a positive light here. But he literally hands the official, the literal official 13th Amendment yes. to um, 
he gives it to her uh, doesn't yeah. he in one of the most striking scenes of yes. the movie I mean he literally right. gives it to her as they're you in bed what's yeah. Like, yeah yeah um yeah no I mean that's yes I can I can totally see how that that's would be that will be open to criticism um I mean, Daddy Stevens, I suppose, is is one of the people I have in mind there when I said uh, a moment ago there that I I felt like the um, the, comedy. the depictions of the, the other, <laughs> pretty much every other politician. I'm trying to think, yeah. maybe apart from Seward, is a kind of, as a kind of comic character. And that's definitely true of Thaddeus Stevens. He was a much more... Uh, much more complex and serious person than I think uh, comes across in this movie. I mean, it's, it's Stevens is interesting because actually, as a lawyer, he, 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 um, early in his career, he um, uh, acted for a slaveholder who hmm. um, a, and was successful in getting this um, uh, uh, slaveholder's property in quotation marks fugitive slave um returning them to slavery and this for Mm. stevens was you know he was when he later as it were realized the human cost of what he'd done as a lawyer uh was you know by by his own account was a kind of transformative uh moment like a kind of christian awakening and Mm. he thereafter dedicated himself to abolitionist causes um and, uh, you know, he could have been, Thaddeus Stevens could have, of course, if we, this is, comes down the route of saying he should have made a different movie, but the movie could have been about Thaddeus Stevens, right? right yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Stevens, yeah, in theatres, 2025. But yeah. uh, yes, that wouldn't have been the box office hit. Uh, uh, no, unfortunately, mm. I, I think less people know about him. But yeah, mm. I, yeah I mean, I, I'm inclined to really enjoy kind of the congressional scenes just for all the, the, the way they speak. Um, and I don't know to the extent of what, they're literally drawing the congressional record or not i don't Um, think they are very much you know do you know what this is such a this is such a a nitpicky point but why why on earth do they do this thing where the the congressmen are seated by state delegations and vote by state delegations i mean that didn't happen no no any more than it does today no, they, they they sit by party and they vote by the the names are called alphabetically. Alphabetical. Yeah. Just like today. Yeah, it's, it's just weird yeah. that. Like <laughs> they, they must have I mean they've done so much other historical research. Like that that it's must like, have been available information. Can... Why would you change that just for for storytelling purposes? I don't understand that. I don't understand. I, I guess there's a, the moment in the Kafkaf scene where he says like, you know, Kafkaf, he's like who Daddy Stevens is talking to this um democrat from the same state who they're trying to convince to vote yeah. for the amendment. Um, and he just gives them a big dressing down. He doesn't even call him by his first, like his real his real name most of the time. Um, and Kafkaf makes a point, like, we sit three seats away from each other because we're representatives of the same state. Yeah. And Daddy Stevens is like, well, poof, I don't care. Um, yeah. You're a different party. Um, yeah, yeah I guess. Then, I mean, so you think it was just it, done so that Thaddeus Stevens could have that line? But I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it for that. You know, like <laughs> that's quite funny. But I don't know if it's that. And then it, I, you bring that up as well because I think a lot of the shots in the uh, in the house are like you know Fernando Wood and um, uh, Fernando Wood's friend. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, here we go. George Pendleton. Oh, George of Ohio. Pendleton. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, he and he and Fernando Wood, who are kind of the lead um, Democrats against mm. uh, the amendment, right? They're always kind of like huddled together, right? They're mm. the most like Democrat. Uh, 
I don't, I don't know. It's just like, it looks like they're at school or something yeah. up talking, like discussing strategy. Mm. Um, but they're always next to each other. So it was just like quite, so if they're not sitting by party, are they just kind of like moving around? No, it's a bit of a, or, it's a bit yeah. of a mess all that. And they obviously wanted the, they wanted the drama of the kind of the name calling and everything. And, sure. and, right. and Congress, 19th century Congress was, were, was indeed a pretty kind of chaotic place. And we know there was sure. kind of violence and fisticuffs Caning on the floor and so on. Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't quite like that. I mean, people did make proper speeches and there were formalized mm. interruptions and so on. So they, no that's probably the bit where they, they, they yeah. were certainly <laughs> taking a good deal of artistic license when it comes sure. to the depiction yeah. of Congress proceedings well, there was a lot of fun yeah <laughs> yeah I found and, and i mean thaddeus stevens you know i mean Thaddeus. i mean you said earlier that it would be fun to see a collection of the zingers in the movie and you're right it would and a lot of them come from thaddeus stevens yes. being rude to uh shooting back at his opponents yes. but I, I i mean that actually isn't stevens i mean stevens used a kind really? of iron logic of you know, I think he would have been, he would rise above that kind of thing. It's not, right. they, they, they definitely aren't taken from transcripts of congressional speeches. Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the lizard one, I think he calls Fernando Wood like a lizard or something. Um, or is it, uh, how can I hold that all? Yeah, it's kind of, you know, pivoting on the idea of equality. And he says, how can I hold that all men are created equal when the, uh, before me stands stinking a moral carcass of the gentleman from Ohio? Yeah. Right. I think that's actually um, yeah. Pendleton, not right. Wood. But yeah, it's anyways. Yeah, it's a okay, good, it's a yeah. good line, and I guess it makes the point. I tell you what, whilst we whilst we got into this level of of, of carping, uh, Katie, sure. let me just. There's a bit in the movie where mm. Lincoln near the end, and Lincoln saying, "You got to get me these votes," notwithstanding the fact that it's the rumors come out that I'm uh, there's a peace delegation traveling peace delegation. Mm -hmm. and he says and he says something like um you will find these votes for me i'm the president of the united states clothed with immense power yeah do you remember that bit <laughs> i do remember that that, that is uh there say. is a yeah. source for that right so that oh, quotation okay. there is a source for lincoln uh allegedly saying that Mm -hmm. But I, it's so, so un-Lincolnian, right? That is mm. not the way that Lincoln would have thought or spoken. And nor do I think it's... And, and, and I, 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 to me, it stood out in the movie because it doesn't seem to be consistent with the way that Lincoln is presented in the rest of the movie, which, as I've already said, <laughs> perhaps right. over-enthusiastically, is kind of my vision of Lincoln. Right. Um, you know, Lincoln had very... Um, although Lincoln was obviously prepared as the movie indicates to kind of push the constitution in the, the interest of winning the war power right yeah and a, and a presidential authority in the interest of winning the war the notion that he would say in that kind of almost sort of trumpian way mm. you know i have this power in I my hands and you will get me these votes it just it just didn't it just doesn't ring true to me that's the so one bit of the movie which i just felt like hits the wrong key to me, it almost read 20th century, right? This idea that like the president is yeah. in power, right? Almost like post FDR. Yeah, I mean, like, never mind. Trump. Trump is a bit of Trump is a bit of a. But I mean, yeah, LBJ. You can imagine sure. yeah. if you're making yeah. a movie of LBJ yes. trying to pass the <laughs> Voting Rights Act, and you had him saying that, yeah, you could buy I'm that, right? In power, and actually, yes. you know yeah. what? Now, now I said that. I think there must have been some conscious or subconscious lbj influence there because there's another scene in the white house right where lincoln with his height like lbj had this height is kind of right, towering over leaning over, over leaning over and that which is pure lbj right yeah, and i literally, think literally we have photos of him doing that yeah right? yeah, yeah yeah interesting mm. big kushner's a fan mm. <laughs> well i mean doris Kerwin, again like how much did she influence the movie 
I guess in the art, how much did her book influence the movie? Good in the point. End? Yes, I she mean, works with the, get, she, she was, did because she, she knew him. <laughs> she? Yeah, she knew so. him extremely well. <laughs> yep. So yes, mm. maybe maybe Doris Kearns Goodwin's uh, LBJ. Yes, we we might have alighted something on it. Alighted on something light here, there, yeah. Katie. Yes, Great. yes. Very good I point. Think um, on that note, and now they're talking about different presidents. Is there anything you? I think we've talked for a while now. You've pretty much mentioned everything I wanted to. I know. I think again, like a lot of these movies I cover. Um, I would love to talk about it for ages and ages. Um, oh, I guess I should mention reception-wise. We've talked a lot about the historical reception, which is great. I think this is actually one of the few movies that historians do just, again, because the nature of its size and stature, historians really have flocked to it and wanted to discuss it mm. um, compared to, let's say, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it was also well-received critically, uh, unsurprisingly. Right. Uh, a career everybody like us kind of lauded the Daniel Day-Lewis performance it was nominated for 12 Oscars the most of any that year uh but it only won two actually so it was nominated for best picture director actor it won actor for Daniel Day-Lewis supporting actor for Tommy Lee Jones supporting actress for Sally Field adapted screenplay cinematography costume design film editing original score and production design which it also won and then sound mixing it was also nominated for quite a few BAFTAs. Shout out to our British base here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so very well received. Um, Adam, is there anything else you'd like to say before we kind of close our book on Lincoln? No, I mean, look, I mean, just thank you, Katie, because, you know, inviting me on this podcast has, has obviously given me the, the, the reason to watch the movie again. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it again. I enjoyed being immersed once again. In that, as as you've put it, that quite claustrophobic but um, but fascinating world of I felt like I, you know, yesterday afternoon or wherever it was when I was watching the movie, I felt like I was in the White House in January eighteen sixty five. And if if that's the kind of thing that appeals to you, then then you will enjoy this movie if you haven't seen it. Absolutely, well, I'm glad I could share that with you, and I'm also glad I could revisit it after watching it. I think the last time in um, uh, my undergrad for my Civil War history class. Uh, but anyways, um. Again, yeah, thank you so much for coming it's on. It's my absolute show, pleasure. Thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, any any other projects you're working on or have? Well, no, only only, only just to say that this is not the the only podcast that the mm-hmm. REI produces. You should um, also your listeners should also make sure they listen to the Last Best Hope, which is the REI's other uh, podcast, which deals which is a podcast about uh, about America from America from the outside in. Absolutely. A uh, great podcast can confirm. I think it also features some episodes feature some of the historians we've mentioned today. It does. It does. We've I've, I've had an episode. We've uh, talked to Eric Foner on the on the mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, certainly. And yes. Certainly deals with a lot of the topics. We've, we've got we, we certainly well. there's there's a couple of Lincoln related uh, podcasts. Uh, certainly. Few, yes. yes. And actually there's and, and in the upcoming series we have. Uh, we have a podcast about Abraham Lincoln's famous house divided speech, which he gave in 1858, Ooh. where he said the house divided against itself cannot stand. Cannot stand yes. um, the speech that kind of launched him into his kind of national political career. So I was in Springfield, uh, Illinois, a, a week or two ago, and I took the opportunity to go to the place in the old state capitol, the old House of Representatives, that uh, where Lincoln gave that speech. 
and we recorded the podcast there. So that's, that's really one exciting. to look forward to. It's still standing. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's still standing. <laughs> yes, sure. it's a historic. There's a new <laughs> Capitol building now in mm-hmm. in uh, Illinois, which I think was built in the late 19th century. But that the, that state Capitol building is still there, there. historic building. Yeah. Undivided and standing. Great. Mm. Um, yeah. So listeners, please be go sure. Or please be sure to go check out the Last Best Hope. Uh, easily findable on all rather on all, wherever you get your podcasts, as they social say, medias, yeah. and also yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. And I think with that, I will say that has been our episode on Lincoln. Um, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow Flashback on Twitter at F- Flashback Histopod. That is at F L S H B C K H I S T O P O D. And we will be back again soon to take another look at American history on the silver screen. Until then, goodbye.